off and is this the eleventh day? Today is um August It's Thursday, uh, August eleventh, nineteen ninety four, and this is my second interview with, with Dorothy Strickler. Uh, Dorothy, um Are the students, the teachers that graduate from Harris Stowe today, uh, are they well prepared? Well, that I would not be able to really answer because I have no dealings with them that I know. Uh, you see, I served. Maybe you want this on, on the tape. I served uh, as a principal in a school that was all white in June and 50% black in September. Now this is in 1930, 1950. 1954 or 5, whichever year we did the elementary schools. I served one year in an all-white school before integration. And which school was that? Shoto. Shoto. And Shoto is, was where? It was on the corner of uh, Teresa, no, wait a minute, not, no, wait a minute, Ewing, I mean its address was on Ewing, 13-something Ewing. Mm -hmm. It was one block north of Park Avenue. Okay. And the district, at the first year, I took in any white child who lived between Shoto and Grand. See, Shoto was there. No. Park Avenue was my southern boundary. And I went to Grand, and I went across Grand Avenue to, I think it was St. Louis Avenue, mm -hmm. and to the river. And I took any white child who lived in that section, because this was before integration, and there weren't that many white children. See, I only had an enrollment of around 300 at Choteau. Did you have... Uh did you have any inkling of what, that this was going to happen to your school uh, after Brown versus Board of Education? Oh yes, we 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 did a year's preparation, and uh, and this you may want to. Uh, it's all on the tape is going. Okay, uh, we brought in the a team from the um, national. Council of Christians and Jews. We had them come in and help prepare the teachers. And we brought in black children from both of the schools where I was going to get black children because the new district boundaries meant that I took some of the black children from both Louverture and Attucks, which is no longer in existence at all. Louverture is still a functioning school. But uh, 
the one teacher that I had, when we brought in some of the older black children and were going to have this meeting with the National Council of Christians and Jews, and they were going to show a film, her control diminished to the point that I could see she was so afraid of black children that I knew that she would have control problems. And I had a very difficult time explaining this to Mr. Bamer, who was in charge at the time, that I felt that it wasn't fair for integration to have a person whose feelings were such that she was so fearful of the situation that she could lose control. Will you say Mr. Bamer was in charge in charge of elementary schools? Elementary schools. All right. And what did the um, what did the National Council of Christian Jews what what did kind well, of they, program did they do? They showed. Uh, I mean, see, they worked with the teachers and with our children. Um, they had uh, a number of films that they showed. I don't remember them now because it's so long ago. I, I can't imagine what those films would have been, though. I mean, was it? <sighs> they were wonderful because they made our children realize that the color of one's skin is not a determining factor. This was for the children. Oh, yes. Oh, I thought, I thought and, for and for the teachers. And for the teachers, mm -hmm. too, because may I say, some of the your teachers couldn't accept integration. Mm -hmm. How did you notice that this one teacher was losing her control or cool or? It was, it was very obvious to me that she felt uneasy with this group of children in her classroom. She, and she said to me, I, I don't think I can control them. And you see, it was very difficult for a teacher to get a transfer at that time because they were not letting teachers run. And I knew that if she just asked for a transfer, she couldn't get it. But I thought if I helped pave the way, that maybe it would help her. And she did. She got a transfer, went to Longfellow, and stayed there until she retired. But she was not an outstanding teacher to begin with. And uh, she didn't have her skills to fall back on. Dorothy, um, uh, how were the, there were just a certain uh, black children that were brought over to begin but, with, a, a certain, a small amount or? Yes, yes, just a small group. How were they chosen, do you know? I don't know how the schools chose those children. I just asked for a group, and, and then two, uh, we used, 
our basketball team and our baseball team and played them over at the community center that was the Booter Center. See, Booter Park, Booter Playground was right across the street from Shoto. And that's all been redone since I was, but uh, of course the school is not there anymore either. So, so you, so you integrated in the sports? Oh yes, yes. Before, yeah. Oh, so the year before we spent a great deal of time preparing both teachers and our children. And of course there was a certain percentage of people who did run, who would not accept it. Uh, I had a tremendous transfer out number. Um. But my school did increase to approximately 500 from about 300. And you were new? Oh yes, I was only on my second year of, in, of as a principal. And we were one of the three schools that had an integrated faculty. And personally, I think this was our salvation in that you had a black teacher from Louverture, a black teacher from Attucks, and I made it known to all black children that if they had any problem that they didn't care to take to a white teacher or to me, they were free to go to the teacher from the school where they got. And where did you make this known to them? Uh, in an assembly that was mixed or called um, office? No, I just spoke to each classroom. And also, I mean, we had a language problem, let's face it. Many of my teachers could not understand black English. They had problems with it. And rather than embarrass a child in a classroom, I had told all of the teachers that they should send that child with a note to the office to me where we could handle it in the privacy of the office. I tried to, I tried to cover everything that I knew of. How were you told that this was going to happen in your school? How, how did that word of the chain of the process, how did that get to you? Well, um, let's see, Mr. Van Reen was the district director and Shoto, when it was an all-white school, was under the South Grand District and under him. But Dr. Shepard took over Shoto School when we became an integrated school and we became a part of the Banneker District. Now, I don't remember I which... Was it a letter? Was it a you in the office? with you? Did you feel that you could handle it when they, they asked you these kinds of well, questions? Mr. Hickey was, who was superintendent at the time, I think 
knew the kinds of things I had done professionally and felt that I was equipped to be one of the three schools with an integrated faculty. One of the three schools. Yes. Um, what were your feelings? I was not. I mean, one had to accept it and work with it. And as a woman principal, you had to watch little things before they became big things. As a woman, tell me about. I mean, it was at the time when there were not too many women principals. It was considered more of a man's job. I don't think there were more than 15 or 20 women principals in the city system at that time. So it was a, a feather in your cap to be chosen for your school to do this? Oh, definitely. I mean, if you were on that line where these children had lived together, they needed to go to school together. So you were all for it? Oh, definitely. Uh, but I, I am not for the busing. Today? Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you about that. I want one more question for this, and then we'll, then we'll go back to it. But the things that you, you said that you decided to have a ball game, you decided to have uh, children come in. This was your choice? Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. It was all our, our planning. It was George Fisher, who was my room one teacher, and who later became an elementary principal, was he, he and I worked together on all of this. Was he, he, he was white? Yes. Right. So the planning of this was done by the white teachers oh, yeah. before everybody got there. Um, I didn't know who, who, what black teachers were coming. Uh, um, I had nothing so, to do with choosing who came. Yes. What you did in your school, you were one of three schools who was integrating teachers and, and children. did it your way, the other school did it their way, so nobody had to do it in the same way. What were the other schools? I don't know. Don't know. I don't, I never did know. Oh, you didn't know? Mm -mm. The other two schools? No, I did not know. I was just told that I would be one of the three. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Uh, and may I say that those teachers were picked by Mr. Hickey. And he did a good job of picking top-notch teachers who would, who were capable of dismissing the fears of many white parents. That was our big problem, was for white parents in low socioeconomic neighborhoods to accept the fact their children were going to school with black children. Uh, today in 1994, um, 
maybe the fears are the same. Maybe that's why we're no further, or some further, but no. What, what do you think, um, what do you know that those fears were of the white parents in those days? That the teachers weren't capable. I mean, this was the fear, that because black children were not accomplishing and didn't test as high, that they that there were inferior teachers. The the white parents didn't realize how overcrowded the black schools were. Most of the children that I received came from classrooms that had been over fifty. And the lack of their learning skills the lack of their learning uh, was probably due to those large classrooms because many of them had the ability but uh, were lost in the shuffle of a big classroom. I think I told you the story, and I really want again, of the twins in my eighth grade that uh, they tested very low in reading. And when I saw the test scores, because I tested all of my upper grade children in reading, because I had been through the reading clinic, and when I saw the spread of the scores in the seventh and eighth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade classrooms, and I really combined it with some of the fifth grade, because I put the whole third floor into reading at the same time, and we moved to reading levels instead of, I mean, I, I did a, a clinic shovel, as I called it, and the teacher who took the low group was an outstanding person in the field of reading, teaching reading, and she had a very small group. Now, we had some children in that group who made a four-year gain in one year's time in reading skills. So it was all there. It was there. And uh, this, this set of twins, uh, the one boy, George Fisher, said he ought to stay with Doris for another year because he has capacity. And we talked to the mother, and he, he wanted to stay, and he later earned a scholarship. But his twin brother went on without as much gain and without, probably didn't have quite the ability, but later ended up in the penitentiary too, so. Doris, last name? Wolf. W-O-L-F? Double F. Um, But we continued with that reading program as long as I was there. I mean, I, I continued it because uh, it helped those children who needed it the most. So how did the children get together? How did they do? How did they play together? What, what were the white children hearing at home? That they, that they brought to school, um, what, 
We had, Sir. may I say, I had less problems with Shoto and integrated school than I had when I went to Lyon, which was a fifth grade school, uh, all white, but with a problem where many of the children at that time were starting the use of drugs. Now give me some years. When did you, when did you leave Shoto? I, uh, well, I went into uh, supervision in 1960, and it was about 68 when I went to Lyon, and I retired in 73. Where is Lyon? Lyon is 7400 south on Vermont. But it was an all-white all fifth grade school. were a greater problem than integration. Than integration. And that's in the white community. It's an all-white community. Um, so I was only there five years. But I think that <laughs> that took its toll on me, because it was there, of course, that I had the accident where I have a compression fracture in my neck. And and I also got one in my lower back later. But. Uh, is there any more that you, any more light that you want to shed on the integration of uh, with the parents? I think you told me a story about the hats. And maybe that was on the other tape. Um, um. Well, of course, I mean, Negro boys are not accustomed to removing their hats when they enter a building. Mm -hmm. And I stood at the line, and when they saw me, they knew they took off their hat. Dorothy, what do you think is the difference between African Americans and Caucasians? What difference is Well, I think there is some difference in our values. I'm not sure, because uh, I don't think that I have maybe worked with the same level of of black people as I have white, uh, but I do think there seems to be a difference in our values. I don't know. Uh, in my dealings there at Choto, of course, I was dealing with a very low socioeconomic level of both white and blacks, but it seemed to me that the blacks their values were at the corner tavern. I mean, drinking was so prevalent among the black families. And they didn't, in general, care for their children as well as even their low socioeconomic level white children. However, when I got to Lyon, 
those parents didn't take care of their kids either. So. So I understand you're not saying that one is not equal in that. In that. Some of it is, I think, due to the opportunities that they've had. I can remember back in our professional organization work, the only place where we could hold a meeting and have food was at the downtown Y. Because the blacks couldn't eat any place else. They would have them at the Y. Yeah, we ate at the Y. The white Y. The one on 16th and and uh, and Locust. Wines. Yeah. Um, and what organizations are you talking about? I'm talking about the. Um, we had in, had integrated. We had not integrated our organizations. We had a black uh, elementary teachers group. I was president of the white elementary teachers group in our cooperative council, as we called it, and we met at the Y. There was a black high uh, secondary. You met with the whites, but, oh, and you also met with the. In the organizational field, uh, I met with all levels. But you see, you had uh, a white high school group, black high school group, white elementary, black elementary. Uh, you had the, only one person at the college level on, on the council. But as president of the White Teachers Association, is that what you would say you were? Mm-hmm. Well, that was the Cooperative Council, where we had, where we had representatives, a president and a representative from each of the organizations that belonged to the council. And black. And whites. And whites. And that was, and that went on for a number of years. And uh, what year was are we talking about? Prior to uh, my becoming a principal, we're so talking about the fifty, early fifties. No, yeah, yes, uh, late forties and early fifties. Okay. And what kinds of things? What was the purpose of, of the cooperative council in getting together? What in dealing goals? with the board on teacher, we 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 dealt with teacher problems like. The, uh, the union is doing now. I mean, we, we rep the Cooperative Council represented us, at, represented all employees, at, all professional employees. At, uh, at when it was time for raises or? That's right. When, in all dealings with the Board of Education, we, we were the group that represented them. Were you, get, were you and the black teachers getting the same uh, salaries? Oh, yes. Yes, and same benefits. That, as far as I can remember, that has always been true. When did the um, uh, when did it stop being uh, a separate thing? When when did it become 
the two organizations integrated as schools integrate. How did that go? Well, see, I had moved into administration, and so I was no longer a person in at the elementary group where they had to get together. But um, the it, the principal's group was already an integrated group, both secondary and elementary. What grade would you give St. Louis on how they integrated the schools and how they... Well, I think we did a very, very good job. Uh, I, I think some of the good, though, has been in, undone by the busing. Talk about the busing because we've brought it's been sitting between us a little bit, you know. It's come well, I, I mean, prior to this massive busing by the courts, we had to do some busing just because of Hempstead School would be an example. I inherited all of the 7th and 8th graders from Hempstead and we met in what was then Vachon High School. I had the whole east end from the ground level to the third level, all with 7th and 8th grade children out of Hempstead School. Hempstead School is where? Approximately Page and uh, Hamilton. And it was a what it, year? It was an all-white school went, that changed to an entirely black school. And we were transporting 47 rooms out of that school. It was all white? And, and, and it didn't even, I mean, there were vacant classrooms when it was an all white school. When it became an integrated school, it quickly moved to black and changed to the point that the fifth and sixth graders were at Waring, and see, I was in supervision at that time. This is where I dealt with transportation that was not court-ordered, that was necessitated by oversized classrooms. Was this white flight? Mm -hmm. Everybody just left. That's right. Everything. Everything changed in that district to black, and there, it's an area where they must put a family in every room of those big houses. Because I don't know how else you could get 47 rooms in addition to the kindergarten, first and second and third grade stayed at Hempstead, but we've transported four, five, six, seven, and eight out of there. Uh, seventh and eighth was all, all the room we could get at Vachon. So we had the fifth and sixth at Waring. But now Dozier had some of the same problem. They were transported. But in, that, in those schools, we, the teacher went to Hampstead. You doing okay? You're not tired? No, I'm fine. Okay. 
The teacher came to Vashon. And we have black teachers. Not necessarily. We had some white teachers. In an all-black school. With an all-black classroom. Okay. But the teacher had to come with the children. This gave the teacher no opportunity to have anything on a blackboard before the children arrived. So, so the teacher had to go to Hempstead to get on a bus with the children that went either to Waring or to Vashon. Mm -hmm. So they, they were at a disadvantage. Oh, definitely. They wrote, I mean, but those children didn't learn the bad habits that I understand children now unsupervised on the buses that it can be bad. The children learn very, very bad things on buses. You don't think they learn those bad things on the playground? They could. At least they could leave the play, the, the area in the playground, whereas on a bus you can't get up and go anywhere. No. Um, And I don't think that it has helped because it has taken away the opportunity for parents to participate in the schools. And you, I mean, you can't get a parent way out in the county who doesn't have a car. Uh, and I just, I don't think that you get the best education unless if you have parents working with you. And we did have that at Shoto. And I mean, we had, uh, my predecessor had killed off a PTA when I was at Shoto, and we reinstated a parent group, called it the Mother's Club, and it was a functioning organization. You had both black and white. Oh, yes. Um, talk more about busing. But I think, I think that I, I just still believe that the neighborhood school is the route to go. I think we do have to watch that we don't overcrowd. And that is the problem that some districts do have. And I can see that if there is overcrowding, then busing is preferable to letting children in other words, if you don't have enough room in a school to give a teacher a reasonable class load, then I think you'd better take some of the children to a location where they can be taught, because in today's world, you cannot deal with 50. And I think that some of the schools may have the problem of overcrowding 
if they didn't bust them. I think there's an advantage to magnet schools as I see them. I have not visited them, so I'm only expressing what I have, have heard. I think that parents in general, though, feel that their children are getting a better education in a magnet school. I don't know how they test out. Um, what do you think the advantages, do you think there are advantages for the children who have been bused? I think it's, it depends. I think, I think you could make a curve on that too. I think there are some children who have benefited greatly and I think there are children who have lost. the association with the children in their neighborhood. Uh, when they're in, uh, in other words, I think there's a feeling among the children who are not bust that the children who are bust are different. I just noticed your Sigma Psi key. What, over here? These are my um, and This may be an unfair question because uh, you're, you're retired, but I was wondering if you had a sense or if you uh, have been able to, uh, to know what, what you feel the schools are the caliber of the city schools is now, and, and if they did stop the busing, what do you think would happen? I think it would be hard for the children who have been bused to uh, go back, although I think that as they improve the building quality, you see, the city schools have allowed their buildings to go to nothing. They have, I mean, it's such a state of disrepair that it um, would be very hard for the, for the children who are bused to schools that have more. You said you would not want to uh, be a teacher today. No. Well, may I say, as I've gone to the legislature to try to improve the teacher retirement benefits, at one meeting, uh, one of the senators asked me the question, uh, something about, I was an elementary principal, and I said, and yes, and I had the roof on. And they all laughed. And this is the thing. I think there's no discipline now. Teachers are policemen. And you don't teach under those conditions. This is why I, of course, I carried liability insurance the last few years as an elementary principal. 
the National Association of Elementary Principals, which was then a part of NEA. And that was all white. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But I needed liability insurance there more than I needed it at Chodo. But I would need it now because uh, I see nothing wrong with a, a teacher taking hold of a child by the shoulder and say, now sit and we're going to talk. Now, I had a few children at Choto say, take your white hands off of me. And I said, there's no difference between my white hands and your hands. And we went, and we went on and did what I wanted to do. And you don't think that would work today? No. I don't think that the schools have the cooperation of parents today. I mean, if somebody said, take your white hand off of me today, you, your explanation of what I did would not, would no. not make it today. Mm -hmm. uh, Dorothy? And you would have no support in general from the home. And you may have cries of racism. Yeah. In other words, what became a problem worthy of more than just discussion between two white children was settled very quickly. But the minute it involved a white child and a black child, there was a little bit of a cry of discrimination. And I think we dispelled that at Choto very quickly. But I think it is very prevalent now. Um, yes, I think so. Uh, I, let me ask you this. Um, I interviewed a black teacher. Uh, his, um, he was in a, a city school. They picked four teachers, four black teachers, and um, took the cl whole classrooms on the bus, like you were talking about, up to Mason School, put them in a um, okay. their own classroom, and called it integration. Uh, Which it isn't. No. Uh, he was saying that he felt that there were differences between the black child and the white child. And that when teachers did not recognize those differences, there was often uh, misunderstandings in handling the black and white child. That, um, and I was wondering um, how you felt about that. Well, I think that the white teachers at Mason didn't have enough dealings with black children, probably, to identify one child from another. Right. No, he wasn't talking about the particular people at Mason, because he said there was none. But he was just talking in general. Um, he thought that the uh, principal at Mason was outstanding because she had the children together in the classroom. Playground. She did what she could do, and uh, he, he, he said 
said the principal was absolutely in charge, that they're the god of that little mm -hmm. whatever school, and um, he thought very highly of how she had handled that. He was just speaking in general, like you were, like you could see that that white teacher didn't feel that she was going to have control. Mm -hmm. And he felt that the that there was more discipline and the black teachers exerted more discipline. Well, I think that there's a difference in what, see, at the time that I was at Chodo, the only discipline that most of the black children knew was spanking. But I never spanked one child in the length of time I was a Chodo. And I mean, and I had two of the rooms of low IQs. Now those children do not really understand too much else. Uh, by, the, by spanking, I mean really corporal punishment. But I mean, I think that the teachers in those rooms with low IQ children do have to have a different set of rules that they live by than, than children who should know better, but who have not been taught. I mean, the only method of punishment that mo most of the black parents I dealt with, the only method they knew was to whip. And I think that they need to be taught other ways. Well, I had no dealings with the union whatsoever because I was NEA and MSDA, which are professional groups, but which have gone the union route. National Education Association, the Missouri State Teachers Association. I have life membership in both. And they, uh, I think, that when I was dealing with those organizations, they had a more professional point of view than they have now. I think they are now the same. I mean, they are a me generation. For me. Everything is for me. Does it? I mean, uh, for the person. They, they're not looking at the, the good of a school or the good of a school system. It's so, the good of the teacher. So what, what is my salary and what is, when is my vacation? And what are all of the fringe benefits that I'm going to get? It, this is their major interest. The improvement of schools is not. It's so huge. This problem is so huge. It is. It's, it's, uh, and I see this on the Board of Trustees of the teacher retirement system. I mean, the teachers on representing Certificate 2 on there, and they are both union people, and their philosophy is so different than mine. What made a change? 
Well, of course, I think that our world has changed. Let's face it. I know Heritage House is not what it used to be. Your husband started Heritage House? He was one of the two people who brought the idea back from Omaha. And the profession and the teachers still own the building in Omaha. And the teachers still own this. And we are the only two in the United States that have survived. Tell me what Heritage House is. It's a retirement? It's a retirement apartment built by teachers. Uh, it, the idea started early in the 60s. And the building opened in 69. And I moved in on the second day of April 1969. Now, Bob died in 64, so of course he did not even see us break ground. But uh, he, he and Eric Hohn, for whom one of the rooms is named downstairs, came back with the idea and started. And uh, I don't know the date of our incorporation, but Metropolitan St. Louis Teachers Housing Corporation was formed in the early 60s. And we are chartered through the state. Our bylaws are with the state of Missouri. And each year we have to report to that group the names of the people on the board of directors. Bob was a teacher. He was an elementary principal. Principal of the lamp. He was a he came to St. Louis as an elementary principal and his last school was Malamphy. Well, <laughs> when I got ready to move to Heritage House, I had 22 boxes of his collections in the garage to go through, and I had over 2,000 books to check on the third floor. But I had many of his friends come in, and I divided all the professional books. Finally, I got to the point where I just knew I couldn't handle anymore, and Heritage House wasn't finished enough that we could take care of the books that I had saved for the Heritage House Library. So I called the Leukemia Guild, and they came and picked them up. There were hundreds of books that were all of the caliber, you know, of the Book of the Month Club that I. Dorothy, living at the time when you lived and the way you were brought up, what was it in your background that allowed you to be the kind of person that you are in terms of uh, why were you who you were instead of that teacher who couldn't handle it? And when you went to, when you were the principal, to 
be as uh, caring, uh, as understanding, but as strict uh, and responsible and open to the changes in what was to be. What, where well, did that come from? I think it's my religious background. I mean, I think I have a faith that I can do that which I am asked to do. Now, I, I feel, since I'm almost 82, that I will not run for another four-year term on the Board of Trustees unless if somebody twists my arm very, very hard. I don't think it's fair. I mean, I think I've been on since 81, and I think it's time now for somebody else to do what they can do. But do you feel that, did you feel that that was the time that, that things were going to be integrated, or did you just feel that, and that's what you felt was the right thing to do, or did you feel that well, I it think was going to happen anyway and you were going to do it? Well, I know. I accepted the idea of integration. Um, I uh, mentioned Mr. Bamer once before, who was in charge of elementary schools at that time. Uh, we worked on a guide on moral values to be taught in our schools that had no relationship definitely to religion. And uh, we came up with a little book, but I don't know what happened to it. Because Mr. Bamer was a very religious person. Uh, he wouldn't let you be an elementary principal if you didn't have some kind of an opening. Each classroom had to have some kind of an opening where they recognized a power greater than themselves whether it be God, they, he didn't specify, but you just had to realize that there was a power greater than yours. And you had to have some kind of an exercise every morning. He'd have some problems today, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. But I think that there I mean, I really think that this was the way Only last year was the only year since I've been here that our representative assembly of the residents didn't open every single monthly meeting with some kind of a recognition of a power greater than ourselves. Dorothy, uh, when you went to, the, to Jefferson City to talk about well, no, it was the, it's, see, any changes in our retirement system have to be legislated. So you, this was as president of retired? As a representative and chairman of the insurance committee uh -huh. uh, okay. of the retired uh, teachers association. Of board of trustees. And the. Here or, or there at the, at the 
You've been on so many things, I'm afraid I'm all mixed up. I'm in charge, I was in charge of insurance uh, on the board of trustees of the retirement system. Retirement system? Yeah. Okay. But the reason I think that I have gone to Jeff City on that is because retirees can be available to go because you never know very long ahead of time when you're going to have a hearing. And the regular teachers now have difficulty getting off. Um, you've been in so many getting off. <laughs> well, I have served in so many capacities at the local, state, and national level. See, I was national secretary of the Department of Classroom Teachers for two years. What's giving you the greatest amount of pleasure or satisfaction? Or Service on the Retirement Board of Trustees. And service and saving heritages. I mean, I've paid many a bill here at Heritage House. Yourself. Gas and electric back when it wasn't what it is now. Yeah. I couldn't do it now. But I can remember, because now our monthly bill is more than our annual bill was when we first opened. My service, I think, on the retirement board, because I have finally broken the cycle of doing nothing for retirees. Our executive secretary was interested in improving the retirement system because he knew he was going to retire, but he was not interested in doing anything for retirees. So I, I did. I handled the legislation that put two retirees on that board and then ran for the job. And then ran for the job. <laughs> but we have gotten many increases. The biggest one was the 81 legislation that put retirees, two retirees, on that board. I've been on since the legislation was passed. And I think that we've had about seven increases. My last one was mighty nice. Last April, we passed legislation that gave us credit for $3 a month for each year retired, and I ended up getting a $60 increase in September. Well, you're little, but you're mighty. Well, you know that, don't you, Dorothy? You know that you. Well, I know I have served, and I'm grateful I have had the opportunity. And it sounds like a lot of people are probably very grateful to you. And well, I and you. and I am, I mean, as I said yesterday at the meeting of the assembly executive committee, the of, of, article of, of heritage house. The article of Clarissa Start. I received copies of it from two people, Jerry Abernathy, who used to be president of MNEI, which has its office downstairs, 
and from Tom Villa, who's president of the Board of Aldermen. That's lovely. Because I have worked with legislation back when Tom was the whip on the House floor. Yeah. And he eats lunch here quite often. Who was I talking to? Oh, a, a young uh, African-American um, photographer that's going to take some pictures. He says he eats lunch here. <laughs> huh. So, uh, anyway. Well, I've enjoyed being with you. And I've enjoyed meeting you and listening to you. And if I have any other questions, I can call you. And oh, surely. Oh, surely. Uh, be happy. Can you to think of anything I've missed? I mean, I... I it might be... I mean, one of my teachers at Shoto, who retired before I left Shoto in 1960, um, and served 47 years in Shoto school, mm -hmm. to give you an idea of the problem that what my teachers had in learning identification of black children. She was heading out to playground duty, and one of a little boy came up to her and said, Miss Meyer, I forgot to turn in my stamp money. Now this will time-wise tell you when we were selling defense stamps in the schools. And she said, and he was headed to recess, and he knew he wanted to get rid of it because he might not have it after recess if he went to recess with it. This is what I mean when I say there are different values. I mean, if you can take it. Yes, yes. this uh, is a black child. Yes, and he knew that he wouldn't have that money when he came back. And she said, oh, you can give it to your teacher after recess. He said, but you're my teacher. And she told this story on herself. She did not identify the black children when they weren't in the classroom with her seating plan. Mm -hmm. She wasn't his teacher. I mean, uh, this was the biggest problem I think any of us had, was to learn identification qualities. It's so that she was his teacher? She did not recognize this child as one of the children in her room. And she told this story on herself and said, I'm sorry, but, but see, Shoto had been an elite school when she started. And here she was, you know, a, one of the lowest socioeconomic level white schools left in the city. Well, she, and, then, and then integration. Doesn't that say something for her that she was telling that story on herself? Mm -hmm. That she was realizing that she wasn't doing what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, if we could all do that, in whatever way, Shay, because it's all up to each of us. That's right. To make it better. And, and I think in general, I mean, now we have a much higher percentage of black people here at Heritage House than we ever had in the past. and. With few exceptions, we have gotten a caliber of people that 